Be honest with me. How many of you got lost during the fellowship medley just now? I will admit, I got a little bit nervous as we got to the bottom of Bind Us Together and we said, this is how we should sing or why we should sing. And then I wondered, are we going to just go straight on to a common love or are we going to go back to the beginning? Because he did say we're going to sing it through once. The fact of the matter is we uh, stood right there at the middle of a fork in the road in that song. We had a good song leader, uh, of course, who saw us through safely. I appreciate Kyle for his selection of songs this morning. Um, the fact of the matter is, this is our last Sunday here with you before my family and I uh, moved to Arkansas, and it's, a, it's a, a tough day for us. It's a hard day. When I first wanted to become a preacher, felt God's call to ministry, and pursued that calling over the years, uh, it was because I loved preaching. It was because I loved the Bible, because I believed in the gospel. But I could not have ever imagined the faces and the names of the people who we would eventually come to know and love and serve. Lord knows at five years old, I didn't think it would ever take me to Massachusetts. That's certainly for sure. I had never even been north of the Mason-Dixon until uh, the first summer that Rebecca and I were married and we came up to Maine to Ganderbrook for a few weeks. In fact, uh, this is a big life change for us. It's a monumental turning point in our lives. We stand at this fork in the road, uh, not not so dissimilar from what we're going to be experiencing uh, many times over the next few days. We are leaving around noon tomorrow, Lord willing. <laughs> we can get that truck packed in time and our stuff will fit on it. The real question is, if you've ever been to our house, will the moving truck fit on our street? Now, the narrow little road on which we live and how many neighbors are we going to block and have to move the truck? But I do wonder, as we travel across, I believe it's nine states over uh, this coming week, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, and Arkansas. Yeah, but barely in Arkansas. We're just kind of dipping right into the northwest tip of Arkansas, so I don't know if we can count it or not. That is, after all, our destination. I do wonder, how many times will I get lost? How many times do you think I'll get lost? Uh, raise your hand if you think I'll get lost one time, at least, at least one time, that I will at least make one wrong turn. Don, thank you. I know that I certainly, at some point, even though I have GPS, will take at least one wrong turn. In fact, it could be as many. Rebecca raised her hand as well. She knows me. She knows me. It, it could be two times, uh, certainly no more than three times, right? I'm betting a dozen times. We'll post it on Facebook after we have arrived and let you know, first of all, if we've made it safely, and second of all, uh, how many times we ended up taking wrong turns. I'm guessing. I have to do all the driving myself this time around uh, with the vehicle full, absolutely full. Uh, the wife, who, of course, cannot walk at this point in time, and her knee scooter, we're going to have both kids and the cat. The dog has gone ahead of us. Uh, we didn't send him on his own. We sent him with family who was here for Thanksgiving. We are, of course, going to be traveling a long way. Lord knows I will get distracted and will probably make a wrong turn. But the fact of the matter is, this morning we are all at a fork in the road. A fork in the road for my family as we are moving, but it's a fork in, in the road for the Lemonster Church as well as we've had the privilege to serve among you for the last five and a half years and of course, we wonder, what will the future be like? This is what is on most of our minds this morning to one degree or another. It's not so dissimilar, is it, from what the Patriots went through a couple of years ago. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Tom Brady. Really, I'm not. 
I don't especially love Tom Brady, sorry. But the fact of the matter is, it ended up being good for Brady, and it has all worked out for New England, hasn't it? Uh, it's certainly working out better than it is for Pittsburgh right now, that's for sure. Until last night, Until last night did they not win? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, well, I'm not watching football late Saturday night. I'm getting ready to preach the word. Uh, the fact of the matter is, of course, things change. Roads turn. People go different directions. But this morning, as we open up the Word of God one last time together before we head off on our new direction, uh, we're going to see that this is actually a fork in the road for ancient Israel as well. In the text that God has seen fit for us to study this morning, it's Joshua chapters 23 and 24. And the good news as we go to Joshua 23 and 24 is that God sees Israel through a massive change in their history, a change in leadership, a change in an era. But it also comes with the word of encouragement and admonishment from Joshua, their leader, to encourage the people to adhere to what matters most, even when things feel uncertain. And very appropriate for us to be looking at such a text this morning as well. Joshua 23 and 24. So we've been studying through Joshua together. We find, of course, that a lot of time has passed. Last week we looked at this almost civil war between the eastern and western tribes all over a misunderstanding. And There's a lot to be said for the fact that people cared enough to be up in arms about the worship of God, the appropriate, correct worship of God. But there's also a lot to be said about the fact that level heads prevailed and that the commitment to follow God, even if the others don't, is ultimately what secured peace that day. That's what the whole misunderstanding was about. Even if you go your separate ways, we will serve the Lord. In many ways, that's exactly what Joshua is appealing to the people as well. This is the text from which we derive the famous passage, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But before we get there, let's take a look at the content of these two speeches in Joshua 23 and 24 as we stand alongside ancient Israel at this fork in the road. You'll remember, of course, that the book of Joshua began with an assurance during a change in leadership. Remember who was leading the people before Joshua? I'll give you a hint. A beard and a staff. That could be anybody, couldn't it? Okay. Well, Moses, of course, had been taken to his reward by the Lord at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And then God assures Joshua at the very beginning, do not fear. Moses is gone, but I will be with you. Now that we've reached the end of the book, Joshua recounts how God was with them, just as he said he would be. A very important thing to note when Joshua realizes he's at the end of his time leading Israel now. God was with us. Doesn't that mean he will be into the future as well? Now it's time for a new chapter. Moses passed. Now Joshua's going to. But what stays consistent is God. And what Joshua encourages the people to stay consistent with is their love of God, their adherence to the law, and the worship of God. No matter what, against all other gods, the worship of the one true almighty God. That's what matters. Joshua chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, God's word says this. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, 
Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. Like I need to do an old man voice for this, maybe a Santa Claus voice. You can kind of hear, the point is quite clear, isn't it? Joshua's time is running out. Verse 3, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. As for you, no one, no one man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Are you noticing the echoes from chapter 1, the same assurances that God had given to Joshua, Joshua now gives to the people at this particular point in their history. As they stand at this pivotal point in their journey, he tells them, remember, be strong and hear to the words that God has given you. Be careful not to lose sight of who brought you here. Remember this. And he repeats this over and over, doesn't he? God fought for you. God gave you victory. Now hang on to that. For us as New Testament Christians, that means so much more for us, doesn't it? Than it had to do with ancient Israel and their Canaanite conquest. Important for them, monumental for us. He tells them in verse 11, be very careful. Therefore, to love the Lord your God. Obey Him, but also love Him. That's at the heart of this. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Not something to be taken lightly, in other words. Verse 14, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Notice how he said that again. But 
Just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Now, the good news this morning is, as uh, Rebecca and I bid you farewell, at least in person, uh, I'm not going to give any of those admonitions that Joshua gave. That If you mess up, the Lord will wipe you out off the face of the earth. That was explicit and exclusive to Israel in their specific context. That not at all what I have to say this morning. We do, however, need to grasp the gravity of what Joshua is communicating in this first speech in Joshua chapter 3. First and foremost to cling to the Lord your God. You see, this is exactly why we worship, isn't it? That we need God. We need Him. There can, of course, become this self-reliance that becomes a trap for Israel. It is, in fact, what Jesus is often butting heads against during His earthly ministry, the self-reliance of the Pharisees. Trust in their own righteousness, their own ability to keep the law and do it just right, and then force others to do it just right as they have done. And Jesus says that's not the heart of the law. The heart of the law is to exactly what he says here back in Joshua 23, love the Lord your God. Jesus shows us what clinging to God looks like. We see that modeled in his ministry. Jesus, who being swamped for healings and exorcisms, healing sight for the blind, for words of advice and interpretation of the law. People want to hear his sermons and his messages. Jesus will wake up early in the morning, such as in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. While it's still dark, go off to a solitary place and pray. Jesus shows us tremendous, tremendous reliance on God, just as Joshua is encouraging the people to have here. You see, this is going to be the temptation that ends up ensnaring ancient Israel in the years to come, that when the going gets tough and their crops aren't growing or their families aren't producing the kind of offspring that they would like, they're having fertility issues with the ground or in their families, whatever the case may be, whether it's that the rain won't come or the sun won't shine, there is a shortcut available to them in the Canaanite world because they didn't eliminate all of the Canaanites as God had told them to. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And it's what Joshua warns them not to get distracted by here. Don't turn to their gods. Of course, the temptation is to worship a fertility god for ancient Israel. It can cause your crops to grow or your wives to become pregnant. It is a shortcut that is going to ensnare ancient Israel for generations to come. And it eventually is what leads them into exile. And God does away with that idolatry sternly. What he says here concerning the punishment that will come if they break the covenant, God means, and he demonstrates, but even then there's grace. He gives them a remnant that returns. He gives them a fresh start. There's good news even in that story. You see, this is what Josh was encouraging the people not to do, not to cling to a shortcut, some kind of uh, a crutch that will allow them to get by, whereas... 
What he's encouraging them to have is a faith that looks backward at what God has done, even if in the present moment things seem desperate. There will come times in the future for ancient Israel where things are not going well. And this is why Joshua tells them, remember what God has done for you. And he says to cling to the Lord your God. From there, he encourages them to continue on the course that they have started, to continue on this path that they have begun at this particular point. They still have work to do. In fact, the book of Judges, a couple of chapters later, begins with the story of the continuation of the Canaanite conquest. The tribes are still trying to eliminate the Canaanites. This isn't done. They have more work to do, and they have to do so faithfully. See, he encourages the people not to turn away back to the way we once did things, back to the way our ancestors did things, but instead to continue along this path of getting to know the God who brought you out of Egypt. Chapter 24, he continues on this particular point. It's a bit up for debate on whether or not this is a continuation of the same speech or a separate occasion. The story begins fresh, however, in chapter 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. The story here, of course, is your ancestors served other gods, but when they got to a fork in the road and God called them to a different life, this is the path that we're now on. Continue on this course that I have set out for you. As they look back, they can see how far they've come. And Joshua recounts the story of Israel, the story of God's faithfulness, the story of God leading them here. He says, I delivered your fathers, verse 6, from out of Egypt. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them from among you. He goes down in verse 13 to say, this is the summation of the conquest story. I gave you a land on which you have not labored, cities that you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Before we get to the therefore, let's notice the significance of what Joshua has just said. You see, the fact of the matter is, he's told them to count their blessings, and he's helped them to do so. Look how day after day, adversary after adversary, obstacle after obstacle, God saw you through. And it had nothing to do with Moses. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with God's purposes. I don't know about you, but we've been counting our blessings these days as things have worked out for us well. Um, when we have needed something to happen, it has happened. When we have come to God with a desperate prayer that we're, we've got a tight timeline here, we need to get the house sold and uh, no more people coming through to inspect it so that Rebecca can recover from her surgery. It did. It worked out. And 
And I'm sure that you could hear us singing all from across Leominster as we were praising God. And we've been recounting all the good things that have happened. We're trying to help Ava, who doesn't understand nor like what's happening, trying to teach her, instead of complaining about it, to count her blessings, the things she's thankful for. And so uh, we are, of course, putting the scrapbooks together. So if you'd like in the scrapbook, let us know now. Uh, no, the fact of the matter is we're at the end of this chapter, the end of this, this section of the speech in verse 13, and we can relate to what God or what Joshua is saying. Concern is, this, is, this is the Lord speaking here, isn't it? Make sure I get my, my correct speaker. Uh, Joshua is speaking the thus says the Lord. Here we go. The Lord tells them, I gave you homes you didn't build, cities you didn't construct, wells you didn't dig, orchards and gardens you didn't plant. Just this week, as we had a couple of nice days, I find myself out in the garden trying to finish up any last uh, work, removing the big structures that needed to come with us. These 16-foot goat panels that we used as an archway to grow the cucumbers and, and the squashes and that sort of things. Turns out, uh, it's kind of hard to do by yourself. Wish I would have had Rebecca out there with me working on it. And I said to her, look, I found some of this vegetable still growing. I brought in some tiny Brussels sprouts, and Rebecca couldn't believe that any of them had made it. She hasn't been out there in a month. I said, look, there's still all of these kinds of kale. So if any of you are hungry, please, after worship, there's kale. That's all that's left, a lot of kale. Lucy found a couple of tomatoes that had been thrown in the compost pile that had managed somehow to survive and were just a slight shade of orangish red. And Rebecca said, I don't know if you want to try them. And before she could even warn Lucy, they had already been consumed. And I said to her, should I go ahead and pull up the rest of this kale and harvest it? We'll distribute it to friends before we go. And she said, no. I learned that the new owner is a gardener. And when he gets here, he's going to have food. When he gets here, he's going to have gardens that he didn't plant. He can see what we've done. He can do something with them if he wants. It's up to him. But we're going to leave a little something for him. Fitting that I went in right after that to work on this sermon <laughs> and heard that this is what God did for Israel. It's what God has done for us. He's given us things we didn't plant and we didn't deserve. All of the glory, all of the credit goes to God. Now, the temptation is to take some for ourselves. And this is where Joshua commends the people to follow God. This is where we get to this famous passage here in Joshua 24 beginning in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. 
The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for He is our God. You see, as we have seen God through Joshua encouraging the people to cling to Him, to continue in the path of righteousness, to count their blessings, He's now calling them to commit. To commit to following Him no matter what. No matter who's in charge, no matter where they dwell, no matter what obstacles might come up, not to be on the fence about this. You see, the Lord knows what's going to come, that this will be what plagues Israel. One foot in and one foot out. Needing God, uh, relying on God when they need Him, and forgetting about Him when things are going well. And Joshua calls them to make decisive action. That this is the day where we will choose to follow God. Don't procrastinate it until tomorrow like we do our Bible reading and say, oh, you know what? That is a sin I should address in my life. Maybe next year. That's going on the 2022 New Year's resolutions. I'll deal with that sin eventually. Joshua says today, line in the sand, commit to following God. You see, we have come to realize just how much our word matters as we're signing on a house with thousands of dollars on the line. We're just about every day getting some kind of contract in the email that says your signature is required and our name then is binding that we will do what we've said we'll done. We'll pay what we've said we will. The house that we're selling isn't going to fall apart tomorrow. And uh, here's the things that we've done to it and we put our name by it and we mean what we've said. The fact of the matter is, we forget about how much our word matters on a day-to-day -day basis. When we're not signing our names on the dotted line, the fact of the matter is, we go through life and we say, oh yeah, sure, of course, this. And we say words to God like, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. And then we forget that we've just promised this to God. You see, what comes up over and over and over in the story of Scripture is how much more important faithful action and godly living is than simply saying that we will have faithful action and godly living. We're talking about this in our study of James during the Bible class hour as well. Faith without works is dead. You see, Joshua calls them to the carpet in this next section, and it's the most challenging words in all of the book of Joshua. I've got to admit, I'm not 100% sure what to do with this because it puts us on our back foot. It's important, however, that we hear it. After Joshua has told them to choose whom they will serve, and the people say, we've made our choice, we will serve the Lord. Listen to what Joshua says in admonition. In verse 19, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. You will, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. 
He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve. And his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words that the Lord has spoken to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. The question, of course, is what do we do with that when he says you're not able to serve the Lord? And as the story unfolds, we're finding this is truly a covenant renewal ceremony, a renewal of vows, if you will. That is, we have already said we will follow God. We're saying it again as we go our separate ways. We're making a commitment, and we're doing so in a binding agreement. One way to look at this admonition from Joshua is to say, well, he's challenging them to say a kind of reverse psychology. You're not able to serve the Lord. And so they want to step up to the plate and say, yes, we will. Another way to look at this really echoes everything that we find concerning the Old Testament law and the New Testament, isn't it? Which is you're going to fall short. Joshua knows that they're not going to be capable of fulfilling the law to the extent that God has required. That they are going to need more than simply bootstrap work ethic. They're going to need more than self-reliance. You see, they're not able to serve the Lord, and here's why. Because God is holy. This is the lesson they've been learning since they left Egypt, as they got to Sinai, and God said, don't touch my mountain, for if you do, you will die. God's holiness is consuming. The only way we can be cleansed and not consumed by the holiness of God as sinful people is if someone intercedes for us. For ancient Israel, they had the law. They, of course, had God's system that he set in place as a measure against their sin. But Joshua's story, even his very name, has pointed to Jesus, hasn't it? See, he's told them to commit. He has challenged them now that it won't be easy, and we can't do it through sheer willpower. And this isn't to be taken lightly, because God desires Hearts, not vows. God desires our love, not empty words. See, ultimately, the story of Joshua is encouraging the people. This sermon here at the end of Joshua's life is encouraging them not to conform to the people around them, but to maintain their distinct identity that God has set them apart to have. I just heard the story the other day concerning the, the truth of uh, pop singer Katy Perry's backstory. Did you know this? Uh, a, a guy that I have followed as a commentator for the Oklahoma City Thunder said he used to run a radio show in the early 2000s and they brought in a struggling Christian musician named Katie Hudson. And he said, we in fact took her family and her out to Chili's because we felt sorry for her that she was a struggling Christian musician who would never be successful. Well, little did he know that 20 years later, she would be one of the largest pop icons in the world. She sells out coliseums to come and worship her. It's idolatry. 
to look at somebody like this and lose your mind and scream until you're hoarse, and it looks a lot like worship. Her father, who's a minister, says he's ashamed. Ashamed to see the way that people crave being in her presence, especially when she pivoted from Christian music toward, well, I wouldn't advise you necessarily going out and listening to any Katy Perry this afternoon. We'll just put it that way. See, of course, she conformed and had success. In many ways, this is exactly what Joshua is encouraging the people not to have, not to blend in with people in order to have their praise, but instead to maintain the identity that God has given you. The book began with, do not fear, for I am with you. People come and go. Moses went, Joshua's going. Moses passed, and now Joshua does at the end of Joshua 24. Now it's time for Israel's new chapter. The question is, what will stay consistent? They've got a new home. They're going to have new leaders. It's the very first question asked in the book of Judges. Now who will lead us? And the point all along has been God. God has led you every step of the way. When God is with us, we can be faithful in a new location. When God is with us, we can step into a new era. God is with us with new leaders. God is with us with new problems. God is with us with new variants. God is with us, and we need not fear. For Israel, this was the point in the book of Joshua. Because God is with us, we need not idolize people. For us, we learn not to idolize celebrities, politicians, or even religious leaders. Because when God is with us, the future is bright. I don't know about you, but when I listen to the words of Joshua there in Joshua 24, that we're not able to serve God. We're not able to follow him. We're going to fall short. I don't know about you, but I have to look beyond the book of Joshua in order to have some hope. Because we look to Jesus. Jesus, who was able to obey everything that God had commanded. Jesus, who lived a sinless life and went to the cross. Jesus, who took the penalty that was described there in Joshua 23 and 24, that if you don't follow the word of the Lord, this is what will happen to you. And Jesus took that calamity upon himself so that you and I might experience eternal, abundant life. Brothers and sisters, the future is bright because the Lord is enthroned on high. If you need to come to know that Jesus, that Lord who is seated on the throne, uh, you can come to know him through the study of the word of God with us. Or if you need to respond in any other way this morning, you can make your request known as we stand and sing.